You're listening to the Writers Forum. I'm your host, Mike Toos, and today I'll be speaking with author Don Bentley about his new novel, Forgotten War. Now, Don spent a decade as an Army Apache helicopter pilot, and after his time in the military, he also worked as an FBI special agent and as a member of a SWAT team. He's a graduate of Seton Hall University's MFA program, and his books in the Matt Drake series, of which Forgotten War is one, have also been New York Times bestsellers. Welcome to the show, Don. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. Well, let me ask you this. When did you realize that you wanted to turn from a military or a law enforcement career to one as a writer? <laughs> yeah, so uh, I actually always wanted to be a writer, and it took, uh, took a while for me to, to be able to get good enough at telling stories to, to write a book that people wanted to buy. So I actually wrote uh, three complete novels uh, over 17 years that nobody cared about before uh, my debut novel, Without Sanction, sold in a two-book deal. So if you discount the three books in the 17 years I spent sulking, uh, when those books didn't sell, I'm pretty much an overnight success. <laughs> you know, I tell this story all the time. There's a guy who wrote a wonderful book called Matterhorn. Uh, I don't know if you've read it, uh, about the Marines in Vietnam. And I think it was almost 30 year of rejections before he actually became a national <laughs> bestseller. So, uh, yeah, for those folks out there who want to be writers, uh, Don's story is a good one. Keep, hang- keep, at- keep at it. All right. So listen, for, for folks who may not be familiar with your earlier mate, Matt Drake novels, tell us a little sure. bit about him. What's his backstory as we turn to then talk about the new novel, Forgotten War? Yes, I have a fantastic editor. His name's Tom Colgan, and he was uh, the editor for Tom Clancy when he was still alive, and Lee Child, and and, and, uh, Janet Ivanovich, all kinds of amazing people. And when he and I first started working together, he said, you know, when you're a new writer who is coming to to a genre fiction, in my case, the military espionage, uh, fiction genre, what you want to do is to something that is the same but different. And what he means by that, uh, one of my great friends is Brad Taylor, who writes the New York Times bestselling Pike Logan uh-huh. series. And so my Matt Drake book should be on the shelf next to Brad Taylor, but I'm never going to write a better Brad Taylor book than Brad does. So I have to do something that's the same. So it belongs on the shelf with him, but different. And so as we said before, I wrote three books uh, prior to Without Sanction, that didn't sell. And so when I came to write without sanction, I made several choices that were kind of in the same but different vein. And so the first one being my protagonist is a guy named Matt Drake, and he is what's called a case officer for the Defense Intelligence Agency. So case officer is kind of a fancy word for spy. Uh, Matt's job is to run and recruit what in the intelligence community is called assets and what in the FBI we called sources. And so coincidentally enough, that was my job as an Uh FBI agent to run and recruit sources. And so I decided to have Matt have that job um, as well. And so when I looked out at this genre and kind of what people were doing, there were a lot of CIA folks, there were a lot of special forces folks, but there wasn't anybody from the Defense Intelligence Agency, or uh-huh. CIA. Okay. Uh, and that's an agency that's kind of like the CIA, but is a, is a rival to that. And I thought, man, there would be all kinds of great stuff I could leverage there and conflict there. And so Matt Drake is a case officer for the Defense Intelligence Agency, and he is also a former Army Ranger. I don't come from the special operations background, but I got to spend 
about the last 10 or 12 years working with and for people that do, and many of them were Army Rangers, and so that also became kind of Matt Drake's story. So that's who he is. Okay. Well, you know, it's interesting that you, you talk about it that way because I read a lot, obviously, and I've read some other of the espionage genre, and sometimes the characters are overdone. Matt Drake is not. He's a very believable character. I immediately identified with him and was interested in seeing where the story would go. Now, in in Forgotten War, which we're going to talk a little bit more about, is set uh, at least part of it is set in Afghanistan. Since you yeah. were, you were deployed there, um, and part of the novel occurs there, how much of the novel is autobiographical? Yeah, so um, Forgotten War is the fourth book in my Matt Drake series, like you said. And and even though it's a series, uh, people each one is a standalone, so people can jump in with Forgotten War and and they won't feel lost. But right. to your point, when I was sitting down to write that novel, it was uh, the summer of 2021. Mm-hmm. And I served in Afghanistan as an air cavalry troop commander from 2005 to 2006. And so as I was watching the events of our withdrawal from Afghanistan unfold and just the, the tragedy surrounding that, I had I had a whole lot of conflicting feelings as a veteran of that. And, and the texts and emails and calls I got from fellow veterans were, were much the same, and they all kind of centered around some version of the question, was it worth it? Was If this is how we leave that country after 20 years of, of blood and treasure, was any of it even worth it? And, and I couldn't answer that question. And so like writers do, I sat down to, to kind of process my thoughts on the page. And so Forgotten War is very much a thriller. It's very much designed to help you uh, stay up later, much much later than you want to at night because you're flipping pages. Uh-huh. But at the same time, it is definitely based on my experiences and the experiences of my fellow veterans as we as we serve there, as as we lost friends and family there, and and as we tried to process what that withdrawal from Afghanistan meant. Well, I, you know, I was going to ask you actually. My next question was: Was the withdrawal from Af- Afghanistan part of your motivation for writing the book? Yeah, absolutely it was. So my son, my oldest son, uh, is a, is about to be commissioned as a Marine. And, uh, and other than uh, his, his poor, poor choice in branch and service, because <laughs> I'm an Army guy, uh, I'm extremely proud of him. But as a father, he's one of the many post-9-11 babies. So yeah. he was born shortly after September 11th. And as a father, I remember trying to struggle with the term of uh, the thought of a generation later my son going back to Afghanistan. I remember yeah. thinking, like, why in the world would that happen? What What in the world are we even doing there now that our children would have to go back and fight that same war? But at the same time, watching how it unfolded, I think my sentiment and the sentiment of, of most of the veterans I talked to is something along the lines of we were ready to be done. We were certainly not willing or, or not wanting our children to have to continue this generational war but we also thought we deserved a better ending than the one that we got. Yeah. Now, listen, Don, I have to tell you, you're talking to someone who was raised by a Marine. So I, I was always told <laughs> I was always told that there were no other branches of the military. All right. Listen, let's jump back to let's jump back to the book. In the book, Matt Drake is living in Austin, Texas, and his friend yep. who goes by the name of Frodo is being arrested for murder that supposedly occurred in Afghanistan. And that's going to set a whole lot of different things in motion yep. in the book. Did you know as you're sitting down to write that this was going to be the trajectory or is this something that evolved 
uh, kind of organically over time? Yeah, so writers kind of fall into two buckets. Either you you know the story before you start writing it, you've plotted it out, and that, those are called plotters, or you write more organically, or some people say by the seat of your pants, and mm-hmm. so you're called a pantser. And so I fall into the second category. I knew that with that book, with this book, I wanted to – so you talk about Matt and Frodo. Matt's best friend is a former sniper from um, Delta Force who goes by his radio call sign of Frodo, and they have, have been together for a long time. But when my first book starts, and without sanction, Frodo has had a, a grievous injury that, that ends his career as a sniper. And so I got a lot of comments from readers saying, man, I love these two, but I would love to see kind of how they met and, and be able to see them work together before Frodo was so tragically injured by an IED. And so I had that idea come into the book uh-huh. and then knew, like I said, it had to take place in Afghanistan. And the rest of it just kind of grew out of of trying to, to answer those questions and then say, you know, what would cause somebody to go back to Afghanistan as everybody else is leaving? And so mm-hmm. as the book, it's kind of set up, like you said, that Frodo gets arrested by two Army uh, CID agents for a crime that allegedly took place 10 years earlier during he and Matt's first operation there. And as Matt tries to figure out what actually happened, the other men who were part of their ODA or Operational Detachment Alpha Green Beret team have, have been dying under mysterious circumstances one by one. And so yeah. to figure out what actually happened and clear Frodo's name, Matt has to go back to Afghanistan to find the one person who would know, which is their interpreter. All right. Well, you talk about being a writer that kind of flies by the seat of your pants, but let me ask you this. Writers often tell me that if they create a good character, the character actually helps write the story. Have you found that to be true with Matt Drake? And in this particular book, was it Matt that was the impetus or was it any other characters that helped write the story? Yeah, so um, I'm fortunate enough that I get to write my series. I also write um, in the Tom Clancy universe. And then starting in 2024, I'm taking over um, the Vince Flynn books, the Mitch Rapp Vince Flynn books. And so... For the last two and a half years, I would alternate between writing one of my books and then writing a Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan Jr. books. And so I noticed that when I would move from the Clancy book back to my Matt books, I would hear Matt's voice, that it would be very familiar as I was writing it. It was it was very easy to keep those series separate because Matt has such a strong voice. It's, it's heavily influenced by Nelson DeMille's John Corey character. Uh-huh. Um, and so... So it did seem at times where when I'm especially when I'm writing from Matt's perspective that he's telling me the story. Now, I'm also very fortunate that I have a number of uh, friends with very interesting backgrounds. And one of them is a former sergeant major who retired from Delta Force. And so when I had this book and he's been helpful to me in all of my books, I said, hey, there's this unique situation where I want to talk about something that happened on the objective 10 years ago that now the guys are, are trying to sort through. And so I gave him the ideas and he was the one who very much took what were just rough ideas and said, let me tell you how this would actually happen and, and here are some. And so he took the, the book in a completely different direction. And I think really, huh. okay. really provides that thing you don't see that happens at the end of the book. Okay. All right. So now in the book though, for, for folks that are listening and for future readers, you switch back and forth between the current day and the past in Afghanistan. 
Yeah. How, how do you yep. know? I'm always curious about this. How do you know when to do that so that you don't lose the narrative flow? Yeah, that that is that is crucial because what you don't want to do is give readers whiplash or have them um, have them immersed in one one timeline only to yank them back out and put them in the other. And so I knew that the book was going to have two separate timelines. Originally, when I was thinking about writing it, I had thought about writing it all as a throwback. It's taking place ten years ago. One of my other um, good friends is Mark Graney, who writes the Gray Man series, and he had just written this fantastic book called Burner that had alternating timelines like that. And I thought, man, I'm going to try and do that as well. And so the way I did it is I wrote those separately. I wrote everything that happened 10 years prior and then everything oh, wow. that happened okay. present day. And then I was really, really careful about how I integrated those two. And I actually spent a long time moving note cards that had the scenes around so that I could keep the suspense, but not give readers whiplash. Right. It works really well. I have to tell you, I didn't lose the thread at any point, nor did I think it interrupted the flow in any way. Now, in the book, through a series of events, Matt Drake ends up teaming up with some folks for the return to Afghanistan. And one of those that he teams up with, and this comes back to what we were teasing a little bit about earlier, one of those he teams up with is a Navy SEAL named Garrett. Yep. Talk to me about the relationship between Drake and Garrett. And am I reading too much that these guys are kind of a metaphor for the, the different relationships between the branches? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, um, whenever I have friends who are uh, Navy SEALs who, who want to read the book, I always preface it by, hey, listen, all of my friends as I was writing this book were Army Rangers or Green Berets or Army Special Operations folks. And so... I apologize in advance for all the seal jokes that are in these books. It very much is there's a healthy uh, amount of ribbing and tension that goes on um, between the two uh, branches of service. But what I really wanted to show in this, and and Garrett is emblematic of um, that people carry baggage with them from their time in combat. And so when, when I was a air cavalry troop in Afghanistan, I had one, one really bad day. It was June 28, 2005. And, and that um, bad day was a part of a a bigger operations called operation red wings uh, that Marcus Luttrell wrote about in his book, lone survivor. And so if you're, if you're willing, if you want to write a great book, you have to be, willing to put the things in there that that scare you that keep you up at night the parts of yourself that you don't always like to look at and for me that day certainly loomed large and i knew that if i was going to write a a book about afghanistan i had to address that and so garrett is is a fictional character but based on some really uh some some real folks uh who took part in in an actual battle there well, you know, what I, what I was struck by, too, is, and the arc of this was just so well done, is although they set off or they begin with that kind of tension, yeah. Drake and Garrett yeah. end up having respect for each other. And that, that comes yeah. through in a really unique way. All right. One yeah. other thing about uh, in the book, I, there's a relationship that gets created between the Taliban and the Chinese that becomes important. We won't get into details yep. to reveal it. But is that something that actually existed or something you created as part of the story? Yeah, so it's something that actually existed. And I built built upon it for the story for sure. But the camp, there's a mining camp, a Mm -hmm. Chinese mining camp that's mentioned. That's actually real. And so all of that, 
is real. I, I certainly took some license with it, but it is uh, certain, it is based on actual events. Okay. Well, look, there are several major th- threads in the book, and we unfortunately we can't cover all of them, but Frodo's arrest, we mentioned. There's a young girl named Farhana, I think, trapped in Afghanistan, yep. and Drake's wife, Layla, is pregnant. Uh, they're trying to find the interpreter, and these are weaved together really nicely. But I have to say one of the things that I was curious about and wanted to get you to speak about is what would otherwise be a minor incident in the book, and that involves a Lyft driver named Josh Hood and ask you why you put him in and his interaction with Matt Drake in the book. Yeah, because so, so, um, give us, Josh the, yeah, is, give us uh, the background on that. I guess I didn't, uh, I didn't explain it as well. Sure. Sure. So Josh Hood is actually named for a friend of mine. Who's also a fantastic writer. Who's a veteran. He writes, uh, his own series as well as in the Jason Bourne universe, Joshua Hood, and he's a veteran. And so what, what I, what I wanted to be able to show, um, was the interactions that I had as Afghanistan was falling with, with fellow veterans who had served there. And that sense, like I said, of how do we even process what, what is happening? What, what does that mean? What does it mean for the sacrifices um, that each one of us had either in time being away from our families for friends lost for what does that even mean now that everything that, that we, that we gave as a nation and as individuals just went up in smoke. And so I, I was looking for a way to, to show the conversations that I had had with, with veterans without beating readers over the top mm-hmm. of the head with it or feeling right. like it was preachy. And so I had this idea to have an Uber driver um, take Matt uh, home from the airport and have also be a veteran and that they could have a little bit of that conversation because the reviews that I love the most for this book are, are the ones that, that say, hey, it, it kept me up all night, and that's what I wanted. But what I didn't expect is it also gave me kind of a vantage point into the thoughts and feelings of, of the men and women who served in Afghanistan. And that's that's one of the highest compliments I think mm-hmm. I can receive, and that is certainly what the interaction between Matt and Josh is intended to portray. Well, and it, it, it tell me if I'm wrong, but it all also struck me that this was a way to say to guys that might be reading the book or, or gals that might be reading the book that are struggling, hey, there's help out yeah. there, and if you need it, go get yeah. it, right? Yeah, uh, 100%, 100%. One of the, real quickly, one of, one of the things that happens when you leave the military that, that you don't realize at the time is you're separating yourself um, from the community of folks who have been what you've been through and um, can understand it and inserting yourself into a community of folks who are very well-meaning, but who, for the most part, didn't serve, don't understand what you went through, don't have that common thread. And oftentimes, when you leave the military, is the first point in which you start to process what you've done, what you've seen, where you've been. And so it's this very insidious thing in that you're a lot of times trying to deal with some very heavy things, at the same time, you've cut yourself off from the community of people who can help you deal with those. Yeah. So that is very much the message of that scene in the book itself is that is that reach out and talk to somebody. Don't don't try and fight that fight alone. Yeah, there's a, there's always been, unfortunately, a disconnect between the combat veteran and a citizen. And um, sure. to, to go to the personal side, I mentioned to you, my dad was a Marine. I remember him telling me that when he came back from Korea, they lined him up, said, are you okay? All right, you okay? Here's 75 bucks and a bus ticket. And, and mm-hmm. that, was, that was the, uh, you know, the decompression. And um, I'm not sure That's we've gotten awful. a whole lot better than then. 
All right. So in the book, though, there was another moment, um, for me at least, that was full of grace and significance. And I'm not going to reveal a name because I don't want to reveal this in the book. But one of the people who becomes part of Drake's team in Afghanistan is killed in the attempt to rescue Zafar and his family. Um, The Mm -hmm. coffin of that team member ends up on a plane. And I was touched that Zafar, the guy that they were trying to uh, rescue, won't leave the side of the coffin. Talk to me about that and what you're trying to say there. Yeah, so I think I think what's what's been hard um, for the American population uh, writ large, and certainly for mm-hmm. folks who serve there, is to see first in Afghanistan, and then you saw it in Iraq as well, with how quickly ISIS um, took over Iraq and, and parts of Syria and stuff that we had, had, had fought and bled, and, and a, a large number of folks died for. Is this sense of are there even any noble allies that we fought alongside or was, was yeah. everyone there a coward? Did everybody turn and run? And I think uh, what's important to draw the distinction from is there were Afghan commandos, Afghan interpreters, Afghan people who put their lives on the line um, for their American brothers and sisters. And so, and, and there's a sense, you know, I, I think one of the magical things um, that happened during the evacuation was this band of citizens that maybe not since Dunkirk, where the British population rescued their own army, has there been a sense where citizens, many of them veterans, but not all of them, said, you know what, if our government is, isn't going to honor the commitment we made to our Afghan allies, by God, I am. And yeah. so, you know, with Operation Pineapple Express, everything, and that that sacrifice that Americans made was not unnoticed by the Afghans that they, that that they fought alongside. And so I really wanted to show the other part of it, the sense of gratitude that I've seen when I was doing research from the Afghans that stood shoulder to shoulder with us and that we were able to rescue and bring back uh, to America afterward. Yeah. Well, let's shift away from the book just for a minute uh, to something else. And that is uh, towards the end of, it may have been in your acknowledgements, I'm not sure, but I was curious about this. You wrote at some point that, um, you're convinced, quote, that it is only possible to travel the path, and you're talking about being a writer, in the company of other writers, close quote. Talk, explain that yeah. to me, because, you know, it struck me when I read it that this is similar to, like, being in the military, right? I mean, you can only do yeah. your job in the military if you have other military folks around you. But but talk about it in the context of being a writer. Yeah, so, so writing um, by its nature is a very solitary job. And it's and it's and it's really what what I liken it to, especially when you're trying to debut or or break through, is if you're if you're wanting to be a woodworker, it's kind of like if you spend a year of your life working on this chest of drawers for a customer, and at the end of the year you give it to them, and they just give you a form letter back that says, "Hey, thanks, but this isn't for me." And right. so you're like, "Did it not have enough drawers? Was it the wrong color wood? Well, you know, why was it not for you?" And so. Many times the only people that can help you uh, progress on your journey as a writer is other writers from the standpoint of whether it's looking at some of your early work and saying, hey, here's what you're missing. Here's what you're you're almost there, but here's what you need to work on to understanding what it's like to being on, on a deadline to understanding what it's like to be wrestling with the story. And so I'm fortunate enough that I have a number of friends who have been incredibly generous when they were on in the path in front of me, everybody, like I said, of Brad Taylor and Mark Graney and Nick uh-huh. Petrie and 
just a ton of folks who were willing to lend their expertise and their experience to me, and, and I try and do the same and pay it forward. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. I, I interview a lot of fiction writers as well as nonfiction, but uh, many of the fiction writers, when I ask this question, I'm, I'm kind of surprised by the answer. When you create a character like Drake or some of the other characters, mm-hmm. and then you have to put them in a situation uh, that the character has to resolve, do you learn anything? Yeah. About, do you learn anything about yourself that you didn't realize prior yeah. to doing that? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Nick Petrie, I've mentioned him a couple times. He's a great friend of mine. He writes um, the Drifter series. His, his protagonist is called Peter Ash, and he told me once that the difference between a, a good book and a great book is in a great book, uh, a writer is trying to to answer a question for themselves in the pages of that book. And so I think uh-huh. I think with every great book, there's something that you as an author are trying to understand as you're writing it. And oftentimes the way that you understand that or come to that understanding is through your characters is through, because obviously it's your subconscious that's kind of giving voice to their thoughts and working on that problem. And so I think I learn something um, every time when I write a book and more often than not, it's, it's Matt Drake that, that explains it to me. And is that, I don't want to overstate this, but is that, you think, one of the reasons that people become writers? It's a, it's a mechanism or a vehicle for maybe learning a little bit more about yourself and less expensive than therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's certainly one of the, one of the uh, fringe benefits of being a writer. But okay. I think what I go back to every time is like my job as a writer of genre fiction and specifically thriller fiction is to tell a really, really great story that keeps you up late at night. Gotcha. And so if there is more to that that can happen in the book, you know, all the better. But if I if I fail at that, you're going to stop after the first page or two because it's not capturing it. And so I, I caution new writers that come in and say, well, I want to communicate this idea or I have this concept I want to explore. And, and said, so, you know, just be careful with that because your first job is to tell a great story, not preach at the reader. And if you come in with it too much focused on here's this idea I want to explore, this concept or some, or this argument I want to make, it can feel a lot like preaching and not a lot like a story. I got you. Well, let me ask you, do you ever have readers tell you, we read one of your books, uh, and they tell you that they got something out of it that wasn't on your radar, that you didn't even think about when you were writing it? Yeah, I, I'm one of the crazy authors who I will read every every comment that somebody posts on Amazon, every review and stuff. And I <laughs> and uh because you know what, I feel like that is my customer. Right. And I would be foolish not to listen to what my customer says. Now I don't I don't you know, Stephen King in his book on writing talks a lot about how to process feedback and he says, you know, if if it's one reader that says one thing um, and you disagree with it, the tie goes to the writer. But if there are a number of readers that are voicing the same thing, maybe you ought to look at that and, yeah. and, and see if they're right. But it is always interesting to me to see what readers think of a book and what they get out of it. And there are moments where you're like, yes, yes, they, they, they understood what I was trying to do. And then sometimes, like you said, you read something, you're like, huh. I never thought of it that way, and, and I think they have a point, and, and maybe yeah. they got something out of the book that I never intended, but yeah. I do read them. I know a lot of people don't, but again, I go back to, number one, if somebody's going to take the time to leave a review, I'm going to read it, and number two, it's your opportunity to, to look inside the mind of your customer 
and see what they think about your product. And you don't have to agree with them, but I think it's foolhardy not to at least listen to them. All right. Well, let me end with this because, uh, unfortunately, we're going to run out of time. You know, unfortunately, we live in a polarized world right now. And sometimes when sure. I talk to writers, um, well, I'll give you an example. I did a show on book banning, and I asked several writers, you know, would you participate? And they were like, ah, you know, if I do that, somebody might write bad reviews. Um, are there yeah. any, are, is there any topic or topics that you avoid out of concern yeah. about how it might be uh, taken? I do, not so much about how it might be taken, but I, I try and steer clear of politics. Yeah. In, in the, and in fact, in this book, um, some of the reviews I like, like the most is people said, you know, he made me feel what the people who served in Afghanistan felt without unloading on one political party or another. I, I just feel like there are plenty, plenty of folks who uh, write op-eds or nonfiction or, or whatever about um, politics and that's their job and that's great but I feel like there 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 are fewer and fewer spaces um, that people can escape to without feeling like someone is preaching at them one way or another yeah. and I just want people to be able to read my book whatever your political leanings or beliefs and stuff and say man that was a great story and I loved reading it and so I do I consciously steer clear of that not because I'm necessarily afraid uh -huh. what somebody's going to think or I'm going to get canceled I just want to give people an experience that is politics for you. It's just a great story. Well, it works well. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You've been <laughs> listening to the Writers Forum, and I've been privileged to speak with author Don Bentley about his new book, Forgotten War, part of the Matt Drake series. Folks, it's a real page turner, and I encourage you to pick it up. Don, is there a website or other social media folks can go to in order to learn more about you and your books? Absolutely. So, if you go to my website, it's just donbentleybooks.com, so B-E-N-T-L-E-Y. You can uh, figure out everything that I'm working on, all my, whether it's Tom Clancy, Vince Flynn, uh, my Matt Drake books. And if you're a social media person, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and my handle for all three is at BentleyDonB, so just B-E-N-T-L-E-Y-D-O-N-B. Well, Don, thanks so much for being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mike. Folks, music for the show was provided by Valerie Hunt Jester, and the Writers Forum is produced by Tyler O'Brien.